It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast, available of course every morning on iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your good podcast from as our weekend continues. And it's a Sunday morning, August the 13th, and we've got, of course, seven days of property coming up. It's been a very busy week. We kicked it off on Monday talking with Victoria and Alex Fleury, who represent multi-million dollar properties there on the Gold Coast. And we also talk about movies that they are involved in. Philip Oldfield, the head of the School of Built Environment, at the University of New South Wales. He's here to talk about the conversion of empty office buildings into repurposing for housing. Matthew Hughes, well, he's always here talking about Perth, his beloved Perth. And Matthew talks about yields or capital growth. So that is worth a listen. And Varsha Daswani is here. She's talking about selecting the right real estate agent and what you should look for. And of course, on Friday, we spoke to Arjun Paliwell about the ongoing recovery for the Sydney market. So that is all coming up with our seven days of look back into the real estate landscape around Australia. If you're celebrating today a year older for August the 13th, many happy returns. You share it with John Slattery. He's turning 61. You might remember him from Mad Men. And also having a birthday is Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge family, and he's turning 64. It's the main centre forecast. Around the country on our Sunday, let's check it. The all-important weather word, Sydney expecting some showers today. Your high of 17. Melbourne, a cloudy day. Look at that temperature, just 13 degrees. A completely different story in Brisbane. It's what? It's a summer's day. Literally, blue skies and your high of 28. Enjoy that. And also a sunny day in Perth today and your high 19. Ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level? So are we. How do you feel on the ground with regard to those prices around units? Well, look, at the end of the day, they've got a finished product looking at some of those units. So they're always going to be in high demand, um, have a good yield and uh, return good for investors, good for people wanting to live there for the convenience of lock up and leave. So there'll always be an attraction there. And I think that um, translates through with those figures. And I see Alex Hope Island, that median house price was in the positive side, 4% compared to June of last year. Currumbin Valley also up. Clear Island Waters was up. Burley Waters, probably no surprise. So some, some great suburbs there coming through and on the right side of the ledger. Yes, and, and that's my point about looking at the percentages up and down. You, you look at the value based on each product on its long-term value. And we talk about, you know, we talk about the wide shot, if you like, like what's the lifestyle? What are the conveniences of that area? And then you zoom in on the property. 
Now, you mentioned uh, the wide shot, the zoom. One sort of uh, can now sort of navigate, segue into the movies because this is uh, another part of your life. So zoom away with it. What's been happening on the wide shot with your film? <laughs> so with the wide shot, we have uh, we had the movie that we shot actually in Perth uh, during COVID. The, that's a movie called Avarice, and that will be launched in Australia in January. And we also have a movie called Sons of Summer. So that's a surfing kind of uh, thriller. Uh, surf and slaughter is how somebody put it to me. <laughs> my my, my favourite genre, surfing yes, and slaughter. Right. <laughs> the movie has a lot of surfing in it, but it's uh, about a drug heist, so to speak, without giving too much away. If you're serious about real estate, we're serious about delivering the most comprehensive property information every week. Once the pandemic hit, we went through this whole lockdown and then working from home, and that has been what has fueled it. Yeah. So we've got two things happening. We've got a glut of empty offices and we've got a a housing affordability crisis where we haven't got enough homes for people to live in. So you can kind of think, well, look, can we put two and two together? Can our glut of empty offices help tackle the housing affordability crisis? And my argument is, well, a little bit. It can in some ways. So if we look at all these empty offices, they tend to be what we call, you know, grade B and C offices and not the top offices. The top offices are still having quite high, they're very attractive. So they're still attracting tenants. You see slightly older offices, you know, that, that are slightly, um, that don't have sky gardens, breakout spaces, office lounges, all the places that attract people to come to work. And so the question is, can we convert them in, into homes? Now, the answer is some of them. The problem is there's this design mismatch between offices and departments. You know, if you walk around the city and you look up and you might see a gleaming glass tower, it might, you know, an office building will just have be big and bulky with lots of glazing on the outside. A residential building tends to be more slender. And the reason for that is all our bedrooms, all our living spaces want to have a window. They want to touch the outside of the building for ventilation, for lighting and things like that. If we take a big bulky old office space and we try and convert that to residential can be really challenging from a spatial layout perspective. Yeah, because what you're talking about potentially is only going to get worse. The vacancy percentages in this global report, and they're saying that it may take decades for many of these cities to recover to pre-pandemic levels. And that doesn't surprise me. Do people really want to commute for an hour and a half to sit in a cubicle when they can do their job at home? It's a legitimate reason. And that's why we're seeing um, this growth in working from home. People might want to commute in if they get to work with uh, their team in an innovative, interactive office space. So we are seeing a kind of trend for new offices having these um, sky gardens, um, office lounges, that kind of top end stuff. But if we are going to see this as a trend, if we're going to have this glut of empty offices, we've got to decide what to do with them. Do we demolish them and waste all that concrete and you know waste all that embodied carbon? Or can we convert some of them to housing? And can we convert other ones to office buildings? I think of the, the QQT tower on Sydney's uh, circular key. 1972 office building had come to the end of its life. And what the architectural transformation in that building, they cut the front off the building and extended it out, creating a series of atria, creating the, you know, a really 
evocative, exciting activity-based office building that I think would attract people to go and work there. And But by upgrading the building, instead of demolishing the whole thing, they were able to save around 12,000 tons of, of embodied carbon. And so we've got to be really inventive with what we've got. From interest rates rising, a shifting landscape, rentals running hot, clearance rates, a tight rental market, we cover it all every morning from 6am on The Real Estate Breakfast. Yeah, that's sort of the age-old question. And I guess uh, we're in a little bit of a unicorn-type scenario in Perth at the moment where you don't have to choose because we're getting great potential for capital growth and very good yields. I think we're number one or two in the country at the moment in terms of yields. Focusing on yield is more about generating a strong, steady income from your investment to cover most, if not all, of your costs in terms of holding the asset. And then on the other hand, focusing on capital growth is more about acquiring an asset that you feel will outperform the market from a capital appreciation perspective over time. So which strategy is best for you is 100% client dependent. And that's the reason we spend quite a lot of time in our briefing sessions, figuring out as much as we can about a client's personal financial circumstances, their appetite for risk, their desired outcomes, and the timeframes in which they want to achieve those outcomes. So the, the answer to the question lies in the client, and we can talk more about that. Those briefing meetings are just so incredibly important. Some people kind of skim over those and they really do cost you down the tracks. So for the beginner investor, let me ask you, is there one strategy, because we know that there's lots of different strategies, but is there one strategy that's generally more suitable than others? Look, again, it is client dependent, but assuming for a beginner investor, um, assuming they're quite young, which isn't always the case, but most of them are, uh, and we deal with a lot of investors in their 20s who are coming in and trying to get this started and, and are looking to build a multiple property portfolio, then first we're sitting down and either talking to their broker about this or gathering the information from them about their income and their financial commitments and their spending patterns, what their job security is like, uh, and what are their short to medium term plans. So asking questions like, are you starting a family soon? Because obviously, Obviously, kids add cost and can impact serviceability. Are you buying an expensive car or a jet ski or anything silly like that? All of these things need to be understood. So we're putting the client into a, a position that they can sustain um, and they can hold their property long term. Um, so once we understand the client, then we can provide some advice on the type of property that would best suit their needs. Obviously, someone who's on a lower income, especially if they're planning to build out a, a larger portfolio over time, they'll need to be a little bit more yield focused to avoid running into serviceability issues on future potential acquisitions, which we see a lot in WA, a young FIFO worker earning 150, 200 grand with good spending habits. They can certainly sacrifice some yield to shift their focus to more to capital growth. And that's something that we do quite a lot of. We deal with a lot of clients like that. And most of our clients are growth focused. And if an investor is chasing higher than average yields, are there particular areas in WA that you would suggest that they take a little bit more of a closer look at? Yeah, there's certainly areas that perform better from a yield perspective. A lot of those areas are actually being targeted by East Coast investors at the moment. Conversely, we're not buying in a lot of them. Uh, and we've spoken why about why previously. So areas like Rockingham, local government area, for example, property values are mostly at or below the Perth median. Rental returns are very strong. You can pick up yields of sort of five and a half up to probably seven and a half percent. So very good yields at the moment. Um, but we've spoken previously about the downside risk of what happens to certain property types or certain areas in a soft market. And so a 7% yield can turn into 35 pretty quickly if you make the wrong decision. 
Remember to follow us on any of the podcast platforms so you never miss a real estate podcast. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify and Amazon. Know your property with us. So Craig, investors from East Coast are not only thinking of buying, but also selling their investment properties and then buying back in Brisbane, selling low income generating investment properties and then buying the land is a trend that we are seeing in the property market. And this definitely have some positive impact on the stock and also on the price. Uh, And we have seen about 0.1% growth in Queensland in just like last couple of weeks in itself. And it is looking much stronger with the spring around the corner as a, as more properties will be coming up on the market. And of course, when it comes to selling your home, the choice between doing it yourself and using a real estate agent can make a significant difference. Selling on your own might seem cost effective, but you know it often lacks the expertise and networks that agents bring into the deal. Real estate agents can also, of course, handle the complexity of a deal. So what is the main difference, do you think, when vendors decide to sell their properties on their own versus going with professional help? Oh, the difference is massive. When the vendors decide to sell the property on their own, they just push it live on REA. That's not necessarily will help them to achieve a great result. Whereas when they hire a professional help, they are completely detached from the property emotionally. And that makes the process so much easier, quicker and better. Sales agents strategize on when to launch the property on the market and how to market the property to get the maximum exposure in the best possible way to find the right buyer for the property. Every property is different, Craig, and the marketing is tailored accordingly. So it's really important to kind of hire a professional help. I'm Like, I'll give you my example. I am an agent. I'm selling a couple of my properties and I'm hiring an external agent just because I'm detached from that property and then they know how to do a better job. And they are, like, as buyers as well, they, they are not liaising directly with the vendor. And that makes a massive difference for sure. Do you think that being a real estate agent, if they know you're a real estate agent selling your own home, that uh, they might be behind the ball game? Do you you think in terms of trying to negotiate? A hundred percent. Like the buyers will just put a really low ball offer just because they think that you are in a desperate need of selling your property. That cuts you off when you hire someone professional because they're not attached to the property. They're just here to do their job as professionally as possible. So yeah, it's really important to hire professional help rather than just selling your property on your own. Now, of course, those people that are thinking about listing at the moment and bringing their properties to market, sometimes it can be quite difficult to choose an agent. It's a little bit like dating, isn't it? You're throwing open the opportunity and not everybody is going to go on for the the date, so to speak. So how tricky is it, do you think, to choose an agent, a good agent these days? I would say when deciding to choose uh, your agent, the first thing you need to look in an agent is that they are upfront and honest on and doesn't give you a price that you want to listen to. But what is the market value and what the buyers would pay for the property? Someone with great reviews is always good, but someone who is who you think like when you see them in person and you connect with them in those 15 to 20 minutes are your agents because people choose people at the end of the day. 
And we as agents sometimes can feel we are we are competing with five, six agents for one property. And it's not about who gets to sell the property, but who is the right agent for that particular property is really important. Someone who's really transparent from the beginning and keeps in touch with you after the listing presentation is your agent. And it just shows that they will be following up on the buyers as well. So yeah, deciding to choose your agent is really crucial because building that trust in that initial listing presentation is really, really keen and someone who's like honest and upfront rather than just lying and just just giving you a price that you would want to listen because everybody wants to sell their property at the highest price possible. But that might not necessarily be the case. From investment strategies to market analysis, know your property with us on The Real Estate Podcast. One thing that many people are forgetting about is Sydney's going through a bit of a zigzag. Uh, it's easy to take the latest month, the latest quarter, and think that the city is seeing phenomenal price growth, when really over the last five years, price growth hasn't been all hasn't been all that great. If we break this down, we've seen 2017 to 19 a bit of a come off, and then 2020 and 21 a surge, 22 a decline again, and a 23 a surge again. It's just now dependent on how far this next surge goes, which is going to be the key to say that a new boom has truly started or the old boom is continuing. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. And specifically from your perspective, which region do you think within Sydney appears to be exhibiting the most significant momentum at the moment? Well, I think the things that I've been very excited about in Sydney have definitely been some of those high packed infrastructure and affordable locations in the West and South. But really the biggest uh, sort of movers at the moment are the inner west of Sydney and the northwest of Sydney. Inner west is definitely known for its tightly held stock. And then the northwest is fast becoming a very popular area amongst growing families and, and very culturally diverse area as well, where a lot of people are coming out to that northwest and some of the new hubs here from the Hills District, uh, in particular, northwest, the Bella Vista Precinct, uh, Kellyville, Castle Hill, these sorts of northwest Sydney and the inner west Sydney are definitely standing out in terms of some of the recovery in place. Yeah, and in fact, a friend of mine just recently bought into a new suburb out there. I think the house and land package was about 1.4 million. So they decided to move because it just represented such great value. And in your opinion, what are the primary factors driving these, I guess, robust shifts in the current housing market? So the biggest shift that's on the minds of many is the undersupply. But it's also fair to say we are seeing a little bit of a return on the credit. So when we look at ABS's credit data, uh, it has obviously fallen heavily with borrowing capacities coming off, but we've also started to see an uptick. So there's a little bit of a tick up in the finance data. I think what this alludes to is more so confidence returning. When you take a look at what interest rates really did, they did two things. Number one is for those households that simply could not afford the extra repayments, they had to sit on the sideline and weren't on the buying uh, motions. And then number two, those that could afford probably just took a bit of hibernation and sleep, just wondering what will happen? How long will this go for? Shall I do it now? Shall I do it not? So the group of the difficult payments obviously can't step back in because that hasn't changed. Interest rates haven't fallen. But what has happened is the group of, I'll see what happens, not so sure, we'll see how long this goes for, they're definitely returning in full force 
when you combine that with low stock, booming population, and then prices that are below their peak, that's obviously where people are trying to grab that sort of next phase up and get on with life and be a bit more mobile. And that mobile is starting to get them to look at stock. And that's key what's happening here in Sydney. Don't navigate the real estate market alone. Let us help guide you in the world of real estate every day. Make better informed decisions with the latest news and insights. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. Thank you.